Welcome to Vegan Boss Radio, where we will be talking about all things related to business, health, and lifestyle. We connect with passionate vegans from around the world so they can share their stories, challenges, and what it's like to navigate being vegan in a non-vegan world. Radio. Before we get into the episode, we have a few announcements. We are now on Patreon, so if you'd like to support our work putting out these podcasts, we have two membership options to choose from. Our official patron membership is $5 a month, Canadian, and includes monthly recipes, nutrition webinars, 10% off our online vegan supplement store. We do just have shipping within Canada right now. And then you also get access to our merch, which is coming soon. Our VIP patron membership is $50 a month, Canadian, and includes everything in the official patron membership, plus a private 15-minute nutrition coaching call each month. And you'll also get 25% off of our vegan supplement store instead of 10% off. And then a quick note about today's episode. We interviewed our mom about her experience being Métis and plant-based. We discussed circumstances when it may not be possible or practical to be vegan or circumstances where it be where it would be very difficult to be vegan specifically what it's like living in northern Canada in terms of food access and affordability we wanted to talk about this topic because we have seen some negative comments about vegans suggesting that indigenous people should go vegan regardless of their access to plant foods so we want to shed some light on how difficult that may actually be And we kind of just feel that the majority of people living in cities and towns aren't vegan, but they can easily be vegan. So we should be focusing our vegan advocacy towards non-vegans living in the city with unlimited options in terms of plant-based foods because they can easily go vegan. It would take zero effort except for maybe you know, experimenting with new foods um, and recipes. But generally speaking, you are just, you know, getting oat milk instead of dairy milk, plant-based cheese instead of regular cheese. Let's turn these people vegan first. (laughs) So, yeah, we just want to point that out. Um, And even in the definition of being vegan, it does use the words possible and practical. So we just don't think that um, our efforts should be going towards people that um, don't really have a lot of options, or if they do, it's very expensive, as we will um, be discussing in the episode. So one more quick thing, because we were interviewing our mom, we got off topic quite a few times, rambled on, jumped around from topic to topic. So with the editing, we did put some musical interludes in between um, the topic changes. So we hope you enjoy the episode and thank you so much for tuning in. Welcome to Vegan Boss Radio. We have a very special guest today. It's someone that we've known our whole lives. Our whole (laughs) lives. Um, And that is our mom. We wanted to talk to you about your plant based journey, which I know started with me (laughs) wanting to be vegetarian when I was super young. Um, So we can talk a little bit about that. Kind of like 
where you feel you fall into the plant-based spectrum and like why you've chosen to call yourself plant-based versus vegan. Um, I also really wanted to talk about your dad. Okay. Yeah, our grandpa. And kind of like find out what he really thought when I first went vegetarian and then vegan um, and kind of what culture you grew up with in Northern Alberta. Um, Like the Métis foods, Mm-hmm. And just like the importance of and significance of different foods in the Cree culture. There has been some dialogue in the vegan community about like when we say it's 2021, like we have choices now, go vegan. Some people have taken that to think that we are implying that even people up north with like no access to fresh fruits and veggies and a lot of these other plant foods that that's we're asking them to go vegan too, which is not the case. Like that needs to be, um, I think, discussed further. So I thought you would have some good insight Mm -hmm. into that as well. Yeah, sure. We could, we could start off by talking about that perhaps. Um, Because because of my father, I also am in close connection to um, a Métis elder here in Victoria and okay. he's from Northwest Territories, uh, north of Yellowknife. Okay. Um, and so I've learned a lot about his food culture because um, Northern Alberta is actually quite far south compared to the Northwest Territories. Right. <laughs> so yeah. there was a lot in, in, in Northern Alberta. Mm-hmm. There, it was real farming country and pretty much everybody who was in the country had a huge uh, vegetable garden because there was a really good growing season. Um, it would get really quite warm in the summertime, uh, really cold in the winter, mm-hmm. um, like, you know, 40 below kind of situation. Um, and, uh, but, but yeah, in the summer, people could grow huge huge gardens that could be stored over the winter, mostly root uh, vegetables. Okay. Um, uh, So a lot of people had root cellars. And also there was a lot of people that were from the Ukraine in that uh, part of Alberta, and Mm -hmm. they were really good at um, growing vegetables. Uh, My dad was friends with a a Ukrainian veggie farmer who actually wrote a book about all his veggie growing tips. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, so that was a that was a really big in northern Alberta. Um, but um, with my elder uh, friend Wally, um, who's from north of north of Yellowknife, uh, vegetables were not something that was big when mm-hmm. he was growing up. Um, now he's he often passes along. Um, like current um, newspapers and magazines from up north to me. And so I know right now they are doing um, more greenhouses and trying to do more um, vegetable growing up north. It's getting a little bit more popular. Mm-hmm. But um, as far as uh, Wally is concerned, he doesn't like vegetables at all. Wow. <laughs> and he, so he thinks I'm pretty much a very strange, very strange person for okay. trying to just... Um, get my uh, nutrients from from vegetables that seems to him that's a very very strange oddball thing to be doing he doesn't give me a hard time about it um but he does tell me about the foods that he grew up with um and the big thing for them was fish Mm -hmm. Um, they had he won't he doesn't even like eating the fish they have here because he says compared to the fish from up north 
it's just it's no good it doesn't it doesn't taste like the fish he grew up with okay and there was lots of berry picking also um he he knows a lot about that and his mother knew a lot about um different kinds of healing plants and that kind of thing um from up there like he told me how they had a, a bad him and his brother were quite ill one winter and his mother knew to get um juniper berries and made a tea with that so yeah, he he has a very different food culture from from growing up in the far north mm-hmm. than even I had from gro- growing up in the I guess the north of Alberta. Um, so yeah, that that there is differences. The further north you get, mm-hmm. the, the fewer um, the less reliance on vegetables um, and the more reliance on um, getting uh, all your your nutrients from animals and fish and. Mm-hmm. and from just gathering that, that kind of thing um but yeah I'm I did become uh plant-based because of you Shauna <laughs> <laughs> um and so my father and mother I think were a little skeptical about that um but at the time I think you were mostly vegetarian so I yeah. think you were still having eggs I think and um and cheese and stuff like that Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think they were sort of thinking that was a little bit strange but not totally uh, you know extreme okay (laughs) um but I know for my dad that he thought that he couldn't get the right kind of protein just from uh plant-based protein Okay. Uh, I know he was worried about getting enough protein and felt like he had to have like good sources of meat for that um and uh you know he he still if he if he would have been you know still up north in Alberta he probably would have been trying to get moose meat especially dried moose meat um and other kind of wild meats yeah in the summer we were just eating berries all the time um so that was that was amazing um we really liked those and then of course my mother grew a great big garden um and uh so we had fresh vegetables um all summer and then she would freeze we had a great big huge chest freezer and she'd freeze a lot of stuff so we would help as children we would help with that so we kind of learned how to you know shell shell the peas and blanch them and then put them in the freezer bags and that kind of thing and we also sort of had had a bit of a root cellar that was under the house um not a proper basement sort of a kind of scary cave-like thing it was just like bare dirt down there okay yeah I used to get scared going down there yeah <laughs> and there was wild cats that would come and live down there in the winter oh so yeah, yeah it was kind of it was kind of interesting so were there grocery stores or were was yeah, everyone yeah. like oh no, no 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 there was grocery stores okay um we would go grocery shopping once a week Well, how long after I went vegetarian do you think you went like completely well like almost Oh, it was a really it was a really long process. Okay. Um so I think it was after you finished university that and then you came back to Victoria. Oh. And then was I Was that late? And Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was you know, I wasn't eating a ton of meat, but um 
I was how I transitioned was I switched to um the most of most of the meat I was eating was like bison meat. I'd get it, you know, only have it maybe once a week because I felt like it was a healthier meat and they started selling it in Victoria. Oh, okay. Um, so because it's quite expensive, so obviously I wasn't I wasn't eating very much of it, but I felt I felt like it was a lot healthier. It was not um factory farmed uh-huh. or anything like that. Um, and then I quit. I quit meat after you moved back to Victoria. Okay. And you me. So this was like in 2010. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. 29, I think. Okay. Or, sorry. Yeah, is it 20? Yeah, 2009. So, um, and then, uh, but I was still eating a little bit of cheese and I think I was still having eggs. Okay. And I watched a video about the egg industry mm-hmm. and about the baby chicks okay male chicks yeah that get murdered and I was just like ugh, I I don't want to eat eggs anymore Mm -hmm. and actually I just don't even like the smell of them now I just Mm -hmm. so although I suppose I must like if I have like a muffin or a a scone or something there might be an egg in there but but I almost never have I don't remember the last time I had an egg so yeah Yeah, I think we do have to make that distinction between people who subsistence farm, like live off the land, compared to people who live in cities or like smaller towns that have access to these foods. So when we say things, when vegans say things like, oh, you know, we have so many options now, why are you still eating like animal products? that question is geared towards people who actually do have the options. And so the reason like I did want to talk about this is I did see a Instagram post by someone who does live up like Northern Canada. And I guess she was feeling like those kind of comments from vegans were directed at her. Mm -hmm. We just like that distinction needs to be made because Obviously, if you can't, if you don't have access to food, you're just going to (laughs) starve. Like there's just no other options. Mm -hmm. And really, like when you think about it, it's such a small percentage of people that are living that way, that are truly living off the land and don't have options. Mm -hmm. So it's like we're not directing those comments at people who like who don't have options So I don't really know who the vegans are that are like directing this at people who um, like live off the land or like First Nations people, Métis people who like truly live in places where there aren't choices to be vegan or plant-based. Yeah, I guess it it must a lot of it must be just from not knowing the Mm -hmm. different, um, I guess, bioregions of Canada and how different they are. Mm-hmm. Um, Canada's a big place and there's lots of different cultures and I think just having some understanding um, about that um, and just also people who are raised their entire lives um, without very many vegetables mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that it's kind of I don't know it's just it seems really bizarre that then people from down south would be saying oh, you have to eat it a certain way. Well, maybe you should go live up north for a while and see what the prices 
of vegetables are and see how hard it is to grow anything yeah. in, in the summer that they have there and, and just maybe like don't assume so many things. Yeah. Well, yeah, I just think that there are like, we can make more of a difference as vegans if we try to influence other people who do have the option to. Like we should never be, the focus should never be like First Nations communities who truly don't have like access to these things. Well, um, it, it might be that the access is extremely expensive. I mean, yeah. there's, lots, there's been lots of information put out mm-hmm. um, about the cost of um, flying in f- or transporting food mm-hmm. to the far north. It's, yeah. it's, it's astronomically expensive. Yeah, so, I heard like watermelons are $70 or something. Yeah, yeah it's just... It's just, yeah, it's it's a yeah. whole other situation. Mm-hmm. Just because the transportation, of, I mean, that's the other thing is, okay, well, maybe you should learn about uh, the transportation system mm-hmm. and how hard it is to get things up to the far north. Yeah. Because um, there's only like certain seasons when there's the ice roads and, and this kind of thing. I mean, I don't even know all of it. I just know that, um, you know, I know enough to know that there's huge challenges to getting anything um shipped or transported to the far north yeah well and like the amount of vegans the percentage of vegans that live in city centers is so small like our focus should really be on converting those people in cities first like Mm -hmm. like there's so much work that still needs to be done there so I don't think any of this like guilting or shaming or trying to veganize people and say like oh we have like so many choices now like that should never be directed to people who truly don't have like the choices and the same could maybe even be said for like food deserts in the states where there's only like gas stations to buy processed foods from yeah I was I remember being at this um it was like a anti-poverty thing like 1993 or something. And mm-hmm. we were all together talking about the different issues. And this, this guy who was living at one of those cheap, um, those one room places that are at one of those old hotels downtown. And he asked this question, he said, when is a Big Mac health food? Mm. And he said, when it's the only thing you've got. Right. <laughs> so uh, that always kind of stuck with me. What he always wanted to do, his dream though, was to be able to grow his own tomatoes. Okay. Like that's what he wanted. That was his yeah. his dream to do that. Did um, he ever get to do that? I don't know. I think he might have. I think he might have. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Hmm. I think that part of the miscommunication amongst the vegan community and the vegan message is the fact that we're living in this nuance of social media and things being shared online. So Mm -hmm. I was thinking like, let's take social media out of it. If vegans in the city were to say that same message, they would be saying it to people around them, but you take it online and suddenly it becomes a platform that reaches every single, like people from all across the globe, anyone who has access to social media and the internet. So now a message that normally would make sense if you were Mm -hmm. speaking to your direct circle is now being broadcasted to people who will be receiving that message and taking it as like, oh, wow, like they must be thinking just because they can have those options, I can have those options, which isn't true. And then Mm -hmm. there comes that miscommunication of like speaking to a much broader 
audience mm-hmm. than you would normally do like let's say when you grew up yeah and you were advocating for veganism and yeah. you had to do it the old-fashioned way <laughs> yeah in person yeah um not online yeah that's true because like I've actually never like met other vegans who were like oh yeah we should make like all the first nations people and all the people up north vegan too like that's our main mission right now so a part of me thinks that maybe some of this is like non-vegans saying that like vegans are telling people who live up north to go vegan like they're kind of putting words in our mouth yeah I haven't personally come across any vegans I even, I haven't come across any vegans who make hunters their main focus no, either. Yeah. Like hunters, like people who hunt their own animals and eat the food that they've mm-hmm. personally hunted is such a small percentage and it's such a side issue Yeah, for like what the majority of, well, yeah, like, I haven't personally come across anybody who's made yeah. that like their, their issue that they stand up against. Like, yeah you know, people who are hunting the elk that they eat, it's like, they're like, oh, I wouldn't do that myself, Mm because I don't agree with killing animals. And I wouldn't feel comfortable doing it. But it's mostly like factory farming and trying to target people who do have those options when they go grocery shopping, Mm -hmm. to either reach for this item at the grocery store or reach for this item. So Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, part of it, I think, is that miscommunication from mm-hmm. non-vegans maybe putting that message out and saying, oh, yeah, vegans are saying this. And then also maybe someone saying something and to them, it's common sense that they're only meaning it towards people who do have options, because the whole point of veganism is you're supposed to do it. It's all within reason mm-hmm. because we don't live in a vegan world. And so the whole thing is about like when you have the option and it's all within reason and um, like what's realistic, what's realistically possible for mm-hmm. each individual is how vegan they can be with the choices that they have. And if that's not an option, then to like what you're doing, like plant-based and mostly plant-based or mm-hmm. flexitarian or whatever it is that they yeah. are able to take on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I don't think anybody should be... Uh, pressuring um indigenous people into trying to uh go vegan yeah (laughs) no it's ridiculous and I haven't seen any vegan groups personally yeah um I haven't seen any like groups that are like targeting indigenous yeah that's why I was so shocked when I saw that um video that like Instagram reel that that woman made because like who is like messaging her telling her to go vegan yeah <laughs> like yeah. I mean I'm I'm sure like maybe some people have and maybe those are like new vegans or maybe they're just like angry people that just watch seaspiracy and now want to put blame on wherever they can yeah or yeah like young and yeah like, just they well it could also be that um if if it could be subconscious that they're actually like targeting people that they feel are not gonna um I guess come come after them unlike say if you're going after like the um the dairy industry or something Mm -hmm. you know like or or um some of the big corporations or or that kind of thing you know because 
that then you'd maybe think twice, am I going to get sued or, or whatever, right? Or, um, yeah. I mean, I just remember that time that uh, Oprah Winfrey had something critical about the the beef industry. Okay. I don't know. This was, I, I was probably in the 90s, but I think, she, I think there was a lawsuit. I mean, I don't remember exactly the details, but... Um, you know, it seems it seems possible that people might be subconsciously going after targets that they think are not that that they're safe targets for them mm-hmm. to go after, rather than you know talking to, um, you know talking about co- different companies and and the factory farm situation. Yeah. Even perhaps talking to people in their own families. Yeah. <laughs> so. might be easier, like especially if someone has like an anom- anonymous like faceless mm-hmm. instagram yeah. account or like twitter account it's so easy to just yeah. pinpoint someone to pick on and also yeah, remembering that yeah. a few individuals don't speak for an entire yeah community like there's always going to be people um vegans or non-vegans that say stupid yeah things. yeah things and, that don't make sense yeah things that don't make sense um and so yeah. not to have that all of a sudden like oh a vegan was mean to you once now you think all vegans are mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. um yeah just mm-hmm. kind of remembering everyone's an individual yeah. yeah I think also um you know some of the systemic things that could change to Im- increase the amount of plant-based uh food available there's a lot of things that could be done with that because there's a lot of young, well, Shauna, you know this, that there's a lot of young farmers who want to grow organic vegetables, like lots of people. Yeah. Um, anybody can go and see on the Young Agrarians um, website for British Columbia um, that there's a lot of young farmers looking for spaces to grow food. And mm-hmm. it's really difficult. Um, there's not a ton of support for them or money available for them to do that. And yet having young people learning those skills and growing that food would be a huge benefit to the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't know, like that's the kind of systemic thing that needs to be addressed. Um, instead, yeah. what I see, because I, I live in a rural area now, semi, semi-rural, um, still on southern Vancouver Island, but there is a lot of land that could be used for growing food that is being used for grazing for just like two or three cattle. <laughs> um, so it's kind of, yeah, what, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of shocking. Um, actually, I didn't, I mean, even though I grew up uh, on a farm, um, we didn't, we didn't do a lot of cattle farming. Um because it was it was mostly just food for ourselves and um we didn't so we didn't have like a big cattle farm there was a big pig farm close by but it wasn't until just recently I started noticing the enormous amount of land that um is needed for feeding cattle Hmm. either dairy or beef cattle um And then when you think about how much you can grow in a really small space (laughs) um, and you think about how much food you could actually grow, especially in, you know, Southern, Southern BC and stuff, it's just kind of shocking. And those are systemic things Mm -hmm. that um, need to change. And all of the farming subsidies that go to 
like animal agriculture. That's another big systemic thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe that's something that like, I don't really know. I know there are subsidies, but I don't really know a ton about it. But again, that's something, it's a more complex issue. So I think that's something that is more work to find out about and, and to speak out about it. Um, So I guess, again, people are just like going for, you know, they feel angry about um, animal, you know, animal suffering. And so they like, Mm -hmm just you know say something that's really easy for them to to lash out about instead of going and looking at what are the systemic issues around the things that we can change um yeah like the like the way things are different things are subsidized like i there's that documentary um about corn king corn yeah Yeah. And I, yeah, until I watched that, I didn't realize just the massive subsidy that is going into growing corn in the United States. And um, yeah, and how that's tied in with the with the cattle industry and the fast food industry. And it's all connected that way. Yeah. What about Métis or other First Nations people who do live in cities and have access? Do you think there's interest in yeah. eating more plant-based yeah I've seen some I've seen some people posting about being Métis mm-hmm. and and going vegan um so I think it's increasing I think the, you know when I go to the Métis potluck uh well I used to mm-hmm. <laughs> haven't for a while um but uh but yeah it was not uh, it's not unusual to mm-hmm. uh, to have um vegetarian foods there so I think there is a lot more acceptance now. It's not seen as quite mm. so strange. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, it's almost like you're trying to show that you're a strong person because you've killed something and now mm. you're eating. Yeah. No, most people today would not be able to do what I saw my like somebody and I don't even remember who it was. Yeah. Most people would not be able to put the chicken on the cutting block, no. take the cut the head off, and then pluck it and clean it, and then have it for supper. No, people can't <laughs> even imagine that. They yeah. just walk into the store and buy their package of meat. Yeah, because they probably would be pretty freaked out as soon as that chicken starts running around with no head, with blood yeah. squirting out. They would, <laughs> they would not, they wouldn't be able to take it. Thanks for the visual. <laughs> Thanks for the visual, mom. Well. People need to know if you're going to eat chicken. It's true. Yeah. So, okay, fine. If you want to eat chicken, there's the stump, there's the axe, there's the chicken. Go for it. (laughs) Most people wouldn't. Is there anything else that you want to share before we end the episode? Well, I just, I think that people need to learn more about the food systems, mm-hmm. you know, in various places, especially in Canada, because we're such a huge country and the, uh, all the different regions are so different geographically, um, climate wise and culturally. And uh, just, we can't assume everybody lives in a city mm-hmm. and has all the same access to products that people in big cities have. Mm-hmm. I, I even see a huge difference between Vancouver and Victoria. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, there's a lot more for uh, vegans in Vancouver. You guys are really spoiled mm-hmm. over there. Yeah, we have <laughs> yeah. a lot. So I think, yeah, it's just like food is something we have to deal with every day. 
And also, I think when people hear vegans, you know, chanting or posting about go vegan, they can't assume that they're directing that towards every single person on the planet. Yeah. And that it's very much like a common sense or like mm-hmm. critical thinking kind of kind of a given that, well, obviously it's not meant towards people who don't have access to being vegan. Yeah. I mean, it's even in the definition of veganism, the word practical. Yeah. Mm. So I think, yeah, just more vegans being mindful of that and being mindful of what people truly have access to and what their choices actually are. I guess I would add one thing also is that um, people should um, educate themselves before they go out and try and forage. Um, Mm -hmm. Because you do not want to be um, damaging plants and also or going on uh, First Nations land with, mm-hmm. you know, without permission. Yeah. Um, and there's a there's a there's some good podcasts about that I just listened to about foraging from an indigenous um, perspective where um, they talked about a lot of these issues and okay. how important it was not to just go out there and decide you're gonna go, you know, foraging on your own without really knowing what you're doing and whose land you're on. Yeah. And there was like such a delicate balance about like how much was actually taken from each plant because you want, you can't like over harvest a certain area, otherwise it won't grow back. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, there's lots of things to consider there. So that's important. So thanks for chatting with us today. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you are interested in getting access to the monthly recipes and nutrition webinars and the discount on vegan supplements, please feel free to check out our Patreon link. It's in the show notes as well as the bio on our Instagram page. Thank you.